This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading for today. And today's passages, the first one is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. And the second is taken from Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 to 11. Uh, Sister Sherlyn will read the passage, the passages for us, and after which uh, Pastor Andrew will come up uh, and uh, proclaim God's word to us. Okay, we'll be starting with the Luke chapter 10 reading. So Luke chapter 10 verse 16 starts with Jesus speaking. Luke chapter 10 verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the first reading. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God, our God, day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to thank you once again for Jesus. And we pray that as we open your word, we will once again be reminded why it is that we really believe in Jesus what you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we're going to do a bit of an exercise about whether you agree with this word or statement, uh, whether you find it positive or whether you find it negative or whether you disagree. Okay, so thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay, what do you think about the word independence? Do you think it's a good word? Is it positive to you? Does it resonate with you? Do you think it's good? Is it thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, what about the word freedom? Do you think freedom is a good word? Does it resonate with you positively or negatively? Is it thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, what about the idea of being yourself and doing your own thing? Do you feel like that resonates with you too? Is this a positive thing or is it a negative thing? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Now, I think that in the world that we live in, 
all of these words have positive connotations and do resonate positively with all of us, right? The words independence, freedom, being your own self, being an individual. Now, recently at church, uh, we gave out these evangelistic pledge things where you're meant to write down the name of the person that you want to pray for, share the gospel with, and invite to church. I really thank God because the person that I wrote down, actually, I managed to have a conversation with him about Christianity. But this person told me recently that he thinks that he is a good person, right? A good person. He thinks that he's a good person because he keeps the Ten Commandments. He doesn't murder, doesn't steal, doesn't commit adultery. I guess if we think about sin that way, all of us are all good people because I look around us all today and I don't see any murderers and hopefully none of you are adulterers and hopefully none of you have stolen anything recently. But what is sin, right? Someone asked me after I preached the last sermon this question, what is sin? And it got me thinking about whether we have the definition of sin right in our minds. Because often we think of sin like my friend does, and we think of sin as an act, as an action. But actually sin, as defined by the Bible, is not just an act, it comes from attitude. An attitude, really, of independence, freedom, and being different from distinct from what God wants us to be. Now we come back all the way to the very first part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 to find out what sin is. And in Genesis chapter 3, this is the first sin, right? This is the beginning of sin. This is the origin of sin for human, human people, for humanity. Now, if you're not a Christian, and if you're new to the Bible, the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, and it begins at creation. And Genesis chapter 3 talks about the time immediately after God makes the world. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the, he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So right from the very beginning, we see sin. But we don't see Eve murdering Adam, and neither do we see Adam cheating and having adultery on Eve. And also, I guess, they didn't steal anything in particular. But we see sin because this is an attitude of independence and freedom, and in a sense, individuality from what God wants of humanity. And so the serpent tricks Eve, the woman, right? He tricks the woman into distrusting a good God. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman questions God, right? And she actually adds words to God's mouth where he she says, God said you must not touch of it, when actually God had never mentioned anything about touching the fruit. So the first thing we see is distrust. Right? It's an attitude of distrust in a good God. But we also see an attitude of disobedience, because God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree 
that is in the middle of the garden. But the woman took some and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, and she also, he also ate it. And so, together with distrust, there is disobedience. On top of that, the motivation for why they ate the fruit was because they wanted to be like God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. From that day onwards in Genesis 3, because of mankind's desire to be independent from God, to be free from God, and to do our own thing apart from God, humanity rejects God because they love sin, and they are cast out of the Garden of Eden. And so what we see here is that sin is not action, but sin is attitude. An attitude to not live under God's rule, to be independent of God's rule, to be free of God's rule, to do what I want to do, to be my own individual. But the problem is that right from the very beginning, once we turn away from God and abandon God and give ourselves over to sin and listen to the lies of the serpent, we are no longer free from sin, right? Sin continues to have a power, a malign power over our lives. So when God finds out about man or woman's sin and rejection of him, he addresses the serpent. And he says to the serpent, right, because you've done this and a series of curses then results, you will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust for all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and he will strike his heel. You will strike his heel, sorry. And so what we see here is even though man and woman seek freedom and independence and to be their own self apart from God, all they've done is that they've exchanged a good God as their master and instead put the serpent and sin over them. Because the serpent is not an honest dealer, he's not a neutral party, he's not a disinterested individual, but rather the serpent is malicious, malevolent, and malignant, and has bad intentions towards men and women. And that's why God says that forever, from now on, till God solves the problem, the serpent will wish to strike the heel of human beings. Now, has anyone ever been bitten by a snake before? No, right? I guess because we all live in Singapore. But uh, I, uh, I walk through the green corridor quite regularly with my dog, Beto. And uh, it's quite wild in some ways. And Many times, actually, more times than I would like to recall, I sometimes step on these black snakes, which are kind of like crawling across uh, my path on the, gray, on the gray gravel, right? And as you can see, they, they look exactly like this. They're these black snakes, and they, you can't really see them very well, because especially since it's been raining a lot, they look a lot like all the twigs and the leaves, the dead leaves there. In fact, once I was walking and this man in front of me said, hey, wait, there's a snake there. And we, we all jumped back, right? Now, I can't imagine what it would have been like if we like, stepped on a snake and the snake bit, bit us, right? Because if you've actually heard of people getting bitten by snakes, it's really painful and it can actually be fatal. I remember many, many years ago for, uh, for me, one of my mission trips when I was in theological college, we went to visit a church and there was a pastor there, just like me, preaching to all of you. And he looked like death. Literally, he looked really, really unwell. I was a bit worried he was going to collapse on the pulpit, right? 
And so after the sermon, I went to ask one of the church members, I said, what's wrong with your pastor? He looks really unwell. He needs a, a holiday. And he said, actually, he'd been bitten by a snake a few months ago. And he still hadn't recovered yet. And this is the image that God gives to the power of the serpent in our lives, right? The power of the serpent continues to be with us and evident with us in wanting to strike at the heel of humanity. So Adam and Eve, in seeking freedom, independence, and doing their own thing apart from a good God, have not actually gained real independence. We've not gained real freedom. But all we've done is we've put ourselves under the tyranny and dominion and oppression of a very malignant and malicious serpent, or Satan, in other words. In the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have children, Abel and Cain, right? Cain and Abel. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. See, as we come from just one chapter in Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 4, we see that what God says actually comes true. Satan, the serpent, seeks to strike the heel of humanity. And sin now is this oppressive, overpowering force in the world, right? In the very first generation of human beings in Cain and Abel, already we see that sin is described as this ferocious predator, right? It's crouching at your door, seeking to, to have you, to master you. And indeed, it does master Cain because Cain then goes and murders his brother. And as we read the Bible, things get worse and worse and worse. So what we see is, Right from the very beginning, because human beings have chosen sin against God, sin continues to grow in this world. The serpent continues to have power over us. And the world is full of sin. It's full of sin because all of us, in a sense, are tainted by this attitude of wanting to be independent, free, and being our own people apart from God, our Creator. Now, my wife has a cousin, and uh, he mistakes WhatsApp for Facebook. You know, there are some people like that, they mistake WhatsApp for Facebook because they think WhatsApp is like Facebook, and they keep posting stuff on it as if it's like a Facebook, right? And uh, he keeps posting stuff, but some of it is really interesting. But he has a big problem about human suffering. And that, I think, is understandable because he suffers from stage 4 uh, pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most painful and one of the most lethal cancers around. But by some miracle, he's still alive and still doing well. But he still really struggles with this problem of suffering. And he keeps posting this issue about why God allows suffering in this world. And indeed, when you think about it, there is a lot of suffering in this world. 
there is, according to the United Nations, 110 million people who are refugees in this world. You look at the newspaper, there's lots of news about refugees, right? Refugees in the Middle East, refugees in Ukraine. Can you imagine, Singapore is a population of 5 million people. And there are 20 times the size of Singapore, people who have no homes, wandering around, looking for a home, or a country, or a place to stay. Again, if you look at United Nations, there are about 600 million people who suffer from extreme poverty. So that's the size of Singapore times 120, right? People who don't have enough food to eat every day. 600 million people do not have enough food to eat every day. If you think about world conflict, this is a map of the world and all the conflict that's happening in different parts of the world. There are 32 conflicts, armed conflicts, which are happening as we speak right now, right, in the world. Now, why does this happen? It happens because we are sinners, the world is under the power of sin, and the world is under sin. There's a very famous, uh, oops, there's a very famous, uh, I guess, theologian who was uh, asked by the London Times many years ago, together with some other people, to answer this question, right? What is wrong with the world? And they were supposed to write a little column or a little essay to answer this question, what is wrong with the world? And so instead of uh, writing an essay, uh, this very famous Christian writer, G.K. Chesterton, wrote this. Dear sir, regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Right? So that's the shortest like, two-word essay you could write. right? But that's true, isn't it? Because what is wrong with the world is because of me, of you. We are all under the power of sin. And that's why there's so many people in the world who are suffering and why the suffering is so widespread in the world because we are the problem in the world. Now, you may ask yourself, you know, why am I talking about all these things on Christmas, right? Well, I think because to really understand uh, the coming of Jesus, we need to understand the reason for Jesus' coming. And so to come to faith, we need to understand sin. Right? Some people say that the understanding or the conviction of sin is to come to the threshold of faith in Jesus. You know what a threshold is? It's like when you come to the door, right? And you're just about to open the door, that's the threshold. So the conviction of our sin, the conviction of the sin of the world, the conviction of the power of sin in our lives is to come to the threshold of faith, right? So before you can enter into faith, you need to be convicted of sin, our sin, the world's sin. And once we understand sin, then we can see why the coming of Jesus is just so wonderful. Now, if we come back again to Genesis chapter 3, in God's curse of the serpent, he says that the serpent will continue to strike at the heel of humanity. But it's very interesting because before that, he says that he's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between your spring and hers, and he will crush your head. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you look at the Bibles on the chairs, you'll see that actually the translation for your offspring and hers is actually 
can be seen as a, as a, not a plural, but actually a singular, your seed, right? Between your seed and hers. And he will crush your head. And so what the Bible is actually saying is, right at the very beginning, even though humanity abandoned God, God's goodness towards humanity does not end. Because God predicts that there will be a seed of the woman who will come to crush the serpent's head. Now, I like interesting words, right? Fancy words, even though I'm very bad at scrabble. But there's this word called proto-evangelum. Proto-evangelum. Okay, proto means first, you know, proto, prototype, the first one. Evangelum means good news. And this Genesis 3.15 is actually the first good news, right? So the good news is not the Gospels, but the first good news is actually Genesis chapter 3, right at the very beginning of the Bible, because here in Genesis 3.15, God promises that he will bring the seed of the woman who will come to crush the serpent's head. When we know the power of Satan in this world, when we know the power of sin in our lives, then it will cause us to look forward to the seed of the woman who will come to crush the serpent, the power of Satan himself. Now, again, when I walk my dog, especially when it's raining, uh, often I'm walking around and I will step and I'll hear this crunch. And then I'll look under the sole of my foot and there's a snail which has completely ceased to exist, right? Now, that's the image that... uh, that actually God is putting here. God is actually saying that the seed of a woman will one day come to step on the head of the serpent and crush the serpent and kill the serpent. And the serpent will no longer have power over us and we will be free from the power of sin. Now, if we think about it, that's what Christmas is really celebrating. That is why Christmas is something that must be so important to us because it remembers the coming of Jesus. But not the baby who's like, you know, portrayed in shopping mall, but the coming of the serpent crusher, the coming of the one who will deliver us from sin. And the whole story of the Bible, this is the person who we've been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3 the person who will free us from the power of Satan, who will deliver us from sin. That's why when we read in Luke chapter 10, the 72 apostles returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing Will harm you. Now, it's not as if Jesus was literally saying that they should go around looking for snakes and scorpions to step on them, right? But he was alluding back to Genesis chapter 3. He was saying that in him, he was delegating authority that they would then have authority to overcome the power of Satan and to overcome the power of the serpent and the snakes. And that's why he actually gives this image. So you see there's lots of imagery in the passage today. That the demons submit 
to the apostles in Jesus' name, and they see Satan, sorry, Jesus sees Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, what does that mean to see Satan fall from heaven? Jesus is actually saying that he sees Satan fall from this position of a high position of power to one where Satan is no longer powerful or has power over us anymore. And this is therefore a great day that we remember when we think of Jesus coming into the world. Because the coming of Jesus literally fulfills the crushing of the head of the snakes and the scorpions and the falling of Satan from his high place over us so that he no longer can have power over us. See, what is the day that you are looking forward to in your life? Uh, think about it for a moment. What's the day that you're looking forward in your life? Now, for us in this service, I guess we're too old to look forward to our birthdays anymore, right? Uh, I don't know. What, what do, we, do we look forward to our retirement day? Uh, I guess for some of you younger people, maybe it's, uh, you know, the day where you finish your A-levels or the day you go to university or the day you graduate or maybe for some people it's the day where, uh, I don't know, you go for your long-awaited holiday, But the Bible actually tells us the day that we have been looking forward to has already come. The day where Jesus comes, the day where we are free from the power of Satan, the day where we are free from the power of sin in our lives. And that's why, again, in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, right? So we've gone from the first book of the Bible in Genesis to the last book of the Bible, and the last few chapters in the book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 12. And again, there's this image, right? The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He is hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, the Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They have triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. See, if you look here, same image as we saw in Luke. The hurling down of this ancient serpent, the devil or Satan. The triumph of Jesus, of us, together with Jesus because of the blood of the Lamb. And now the coming of salvation, power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of Jesus Christ. See, that's what makes Christmas worth celebrating. The salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God coming to save us once again through the sending of His Son, Jesus, and the hurling down of Satan. But that's not how people remember Christmas, right? Uh, If you think of Christmas, what do people think about today? Uh, Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Christmas trees and presents, right? So this is one of the lessons that we need to take from today's passage, right? In the sense where Satan continues to lead the whole world astray, right? And so the power or the technique of Satan has always been deception. And he continues to want to deceive people into forgetting about Jesus 
and to transform Christmas into something which is not about Jesus at all. So, if you think about it, uh, you don't really hear many carols and hymns about Jesus anymore, even when you go to the shopping mall toilets, right? Uh, but instead, what do, you, what do you think about, right? So, you think about like, uh, you know, like Last Christmas uh, by Wham, or it's beginning to look a bit like Christmas by Michael Bublé, or a bit like, you know, All the One for Christmas is You, right, by Mariah Carey. But Christmas is about much, much more than that. It is in a sense, remembering the moment that the whole of history has been looking forward to. So, what three lessons are there in a sense for us? Well, the first lesson is to not be deceived by Jesus, uh, sorry, be deceived by the serpent, and to remember that Jesus, see, see, these things can happen when uh, you get uh, distracted, right? Okay, so, The first thing is, Christmas must be about the coming of Jesus because it is the most anticipated coming in history. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about presents or family or gatherings. It must be about Christmas. And secondly, we must also then recognize that we are all sinners and sin has this terrible power over us. Because Satan keeps telling us, actually, we're good people. We don't need this serpent crusher. We don't need this sin deliverer because actually we're fine. But actually, we're not fine because, lastly, sin is about independence, right? It's about freedom. It's about being your own person, an individual. But actually, we must choose to give up our independence, choose to give up our freedom, and choose to give up our individuality under Jesus. But we must choose, again, to come back under the good God and the good Savior, Jesus. Because the last deception is the greatest deception. The deception which tells us that we are actually better off being free and independent and individual away from Jesus and God. Because that was the first lie. But it is a lie, right? Because if we live lives without Jesus, then we will die. There will be judgment. So in conclusion, many years ago, uh, many, many years ago, while I was still uh, a young person in university, uh, this is the days before mobile phones and pages, I organized to meet my friend at 9.30 at the university gate. And so I went to the university gate, I waited there at 9.30. Uh, five minutes, he still hadn't turned up. Ten minutes, he still hadn't turned up. I think I waited like half an hour and he still didn't turn up. Anyway, I bumped to him many days later in class, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, I slept in, blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Many days later, after we both graduated from university, uh, I was still friends with this friend, and we were supposed to get together to play soccer together, football together. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll turn up, don't worry, we'll come. I'll come and we'll make up the team and we'll play against this other team. And so we all got there. Half an hour, my friend still hasn't turned up. No, he didn't warm up. Game started, he still didn't turn up. By the end of the game, he never turned up. Again, I bumped at him many weeks later, and he said, oh yeah, I'm so sorry, I forgot. No, I had something on. Okay, many years later, years later after that, we're both married now, right? And uh, we're on the phone, we're talking about something really important, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, we need to follow up this conversation. I'm going on a business trip. I'll call you back in two weeks' time. Two years later, he calls me up. He says, oh, oh yeah, you know, I thought we should get in touch and uh, catch up again. 
but then I said, I think maybe, maybe uh, we'll meet up another time, right? Because you keep letting me down over and over again, right? You keep, in a sense, deceiving me that you're going to meet me at the university gate, we're going to play soccer together, and then you're going to call me back in two weeks' time, but you keep doing the same thing to me, right? I think, well, in a much worse way, uh, that's, that's what the serpent is like, right? The serpent is this great deceiver. He keeps making all these promises, and he keeps trying to make you distrust God. Right? Did God really say, you will not die? You know, you'll be like God. But actually, God's way is the best. And God had promised, even though Adam and Eve had abandoned God, that he would send seed, set us free to bring us back to him into a relationship by sending his son, Jesus. And so let's really remember what Christmas is about. And let's truly choose Jesus and to come under Jesus and to give up of our independence, our own individuality, our own freedom to choose Jesus once again so that we may be restored in our eternal relationship with God once and for all. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you as we remember the coming of Jesus. Help us to see we are sinners, and we definitely need the seed who is going to come to crush the head of the serpent, Satan. Dear Father, help us to see too that now that Jesus has come, that we need to continue to resist the lies of the serpent who keeps telling us that we are good people, we are good people, that we don't need Jesus. For indeed, as we look at ourselves, and as we look at this whole world, we see that we are under the power of sin and we are truly uh, wretched in our sinfulness. And dear Father, last of all, we pray for ourselves that we do not make the same mistake as Adam and Eve and seek to be independent, to seek to be free, to seek to be our own individuals and reject Jesus. My dear Father, help us to see that Jesus is a good Savior, a good Lord, and a good God, and that we need to come under him and to subdue and forsake independence and freedom and individuality, but to live the good life as Jesus tells us, to live a life of faith and trust in him, because we know that it's only through Jesus that we will be brought back to you, to be brought back into a good relationship with you for eternity. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Andrew. We will now have a time of discussing some reflection questions. So this is uh, about the time where we gather in groups of maybe two to three and we can talk about what we've learned from the sermon. Uh, here are some questions for us to be thinking about in our discussions. First, what are the lies of serpent or Satan that I'm tempted to believe in? The second question is, what should the coming of Jesus mean for me? So we'll perhaps take about four to five minutes to talk through these questions and after which we will proceed with the rest of the service. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.